morning to our vet, Dr. David Gething. How are you today? Good morning, Phil. How's things? Lovely. He's uh, coming to us live from the hospital. Obviously, lots of vetting going on this morning. I wanted to talk to you, David, a little bit, based on something I was reading, uh, about a very um, heavy-duty thing, which is, of course, amputation. I'm more interested in the recovery afterwards. I was reading a, a story about a poor little guy, a, a cat, on an animal charity website. He had to have this done to him because uh, his leg got mangled somehow, and it was the back end, and I'm thinking, goodness me, how is this guy going to... You know the rest. Okay, look, I mean, obviously, amputations are a really serious thing. It's one of those sort of salvage procedures we'll do if nothing else is working. Yeah. Um, but but you would be amazed how well these animals bounce back. And I, it, it stuns me every time you see these guys. You know, two weeks later, three weeks later, they're starting to walk again, and a few months later. I mean, obviously, you can see there's a leg missing, but they get around like normal. They they go out for walks. They do everything like they normally should. It's, it's it's quite remarkable. So they adapt really quickly. Um, I just thought it was a bit alarming that this particular poor guy it was his back end, and and is that a lot more work for him to do? Actually, this is, this is a funny question, and and we think this was people because we bear all our weight on our legs. You know, when you stand up, you're standing totally on your legs. Animals actually bear more of their weight on their front legs because you think of when a dog or a cat standing, they're most of the weight's on the chest, not on the hips. Uh, so actually we find amputating a front leg is more difficult to recover from than amputating a back leg. At least that's my experience. Really? Now, um, what, what are the most obvious examples of that? So I guess, I mean, I guess first thing, you know, to discuss amputation in general, amputation really is our last, you know, the last straw. We've tried everything else or it's really beyond repair. This is something we do. Not something you do just because... You know, you can't be bothered fixing a broken leg or something like that. Yeah. Amputation, you're thinking either a leg that's been severely injured, you know, injured beyond repair, which sounds like it might have been the case with this guy. Broken in um, many places or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, sometimes we'll do it for animals with cancer. You know, if you have cancer in your leg, that might be a reason that, that there's the leg's completely unsalvageable. Yeah. Um, those are the two main reasons that I see uh, for, for needing it. Tell me, tell me about the discussion that you in the surgery might have when you have a patient in front of you. Like, what, what are the checks and balances before you decide there's only one course of action left? Look, I guess we'd, we'd certainly, uh, amongst the team, we'd discuss and we'd all get our opinions on it and see if anyone's got a better idea or has any way to, you know, any other options we have. It's always a discussion between the vets who are working on the case, but also with the owner. Yeah, you, know, you bet. Generally, people, um, it's obviously a really traumatic thing for somebody to hear that their, their animal needs to have their leg amputated. It's quite uh, a huge thing to digest. So we have to be quite careful about how we talk about that too. Yeah. Um, I would imagine that the owners will always pretty much want what's best for the animal. Absolutely, as long as they understand that it's honestly the best choice. And, you know, say in this case, Let's say, I, mean, I don't know the case you're talking about, let's say, for example, that the leg had been so damaged that even if it healed, it would never be able to walk, it would have no feeling in it, and it'd just the animal would be dragging it around for the rest of its life. Yeah, That would be a horrible thing as well. So if you can sort of explain to someone how once the leg is amputated, the leg will actually be much, you know, the cat will be much better and walk around much better, be happier and live a normal life, people generally are okay to go ahead. Okay. Now, how often do you talk about prosthetics? We've all heard about Noel Fitzpatrick, the vet, who uh, has made some wonderful things for, for dogs and cats to carry on, cats particularly, to carry on normal, really. Actually, funny you ask. I was, I was uh, dealing with a, a young golden retriever a few weeks ago who has been born with one of his front legs is, is sort of only half a leg, and he's been born 
missing some of the leg. Right. Um, and the owners were very concerned about this. And I've got a one of my friends here actually works in human prosthetics and he works making prosthetics for people who've been injured by landmines and this kind of stuff. And so we did a lot of work trying to work out whether it would be better for the dog and looking yeah. at you know doing whole studies and so forth. In the end, we concluded that actually the dog was perfectly happy without the prosthetic. He readjusted himself, right? Exactly right, and he was running around like a like a like a crazy thing outside, having a great fun, going for walks. We think we thought, look, if we try and do anything more for this, we're actually going to decrease his quality of life, not improve it. Um, the, the, which is not to say that prosthetics occasionally can't be useful, but in most cases, animals cope really well. You know, and you've got to judge the whole patient. Okay, well, look, maybe that case was a bit different because uh, it sounds like if the guy was born sideways, then he's used to being sideways. But if something, you know, if there's multiple fractures or whatever it might be, in a, should we say an adult or a young adult animal, then, yes? It's, it's, I'm going to make a gross generalisation and say it's more something you see on TV shows than something we do day to day. Yeah, um, yeah. Teaching an animal to use a prosthetic, you can't. It, it's more difficult to sort of train them than you would with a human. Mm. Um, also, just the way dogs and cats jump around, it's quite hard to make a prosthetic that would really work very well. So we're putting human values once again on our pets, bearing in mind they're <sighs> really good at adapting. Better than us. Exactly. And, and and this is the thing. When you look at the overall outcome and the, the quality of life of the patient at the end of it all, generally, I think probably prosthetics don't add to that. Now, I'm sure we're talking prosthetic legs here. And I'm sure I've told you the story before of the, the, the prosthetic teeth we put in the police dog once upon a time. Who, did, yeah. um, so, you know, if, if any listeners haven't heard this story, I've told it a few times. But uh, back in the day when I was a student, we, we, we treated the police dogs and uh, a bad guy unfortunately hit one of the police dogs in in the face with a with a baseball bat or something mm -hmm. like this, and, and really smashed his jaw up, um, which was horrible. Of course, a lot of a lot of work and effort and 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 care later, we actually ended up reconstructing his jaw and putting prosthetic teeth in. And the reason we did this is partly because he, uh, it, you know, it was a great way to fix it, but also partly because he was he lived a life of fighting crime and he wanted to get back to that life of fighting crime yeah. and he needed to have a normal mouth to do so. Yeah. Um, so prosthetics in that case, definitely, yes. Was that groundbreaking? I mean, it sounds like it's worth a paper, to be honest. Look, I remember it 25 years later, so it certainly left an impression on me as a, as a young vet student and, yeah. and um, certainly one of, those, one of those good news stories where you can actually really help a dog and, and get him back to doing what he loved doing. Yeah. So, what, you know, so once again, you, you, you make a really good point. You say, well, you see this on television shows because they're fascinating. So the point being, it's not quite as widespread in real life. That's that's very very true, and I think, I mean, I guess it depends what you call a prosthetic. And one thing we do see quite often is dogs have hurt their back, and then they'll use, uh, you know, it's like a, a trolley with wheels to help them walk around. Yes, not quite a prosthetic leg, but it's it's certainly, a, I guess, kind of like a prosthetic that we use quite often. That so could work well. Tell me about bone formation. If you have a puppy or a kitten that gets really badly hurt, would you say yes, it's worth fixing this? It's worth removing whatever it might be and replacing with something, or or not? He'll get used to using it. Well, actually, you asked a really good question there. And the biggest problem we have, and we're actually we're doing surgery on a puppy today who's unfortunately broken one of his legs. Oh, yeah. Um, and the biggest problem we have with this guy is he's broken his leg through – your bones tend to grow from the ends uh, – from each end, from the growth plates. And obviously, if you damage that growth plate, you stop the bone growing. Mm. And so later on, the dog will be left with one leg shorter than the other. So if we, this poor little guy actually broke his bone right through the growth plate okay. – um, and so we have to be incredibly careful in a case like that that we don't stop the bone growing when we fix it.
Um, so, so with this little guy, we are we are certainly going to surgery today to fix it, and we're using uh, you know, what they call bone pins, which is special metal rods to put the bone back together. Yeah. What do they but do? Do, doing... they, do they expand or contract or whatever? They, they allow the bone to expand. Um, but the really important thing we have to do is it's quite tricky. You have to let the bone grow, but at the same time, you have to keep the bone very stable so it heals. Um you know, normally, normally here with fractures, people use things like pins and plates and screws and so forth. Plates and screws are wonderful, but they don't let the bone grow, so right. I couldn't use it in that case. So this is yeah. again, this is fairly high-end technology in terms of veterinary science, isn't it? I guess it's, it's one of those things that I mean, yes, definitely, orthopedic work has moved on a lot, and we're very fortunate to get this trickle down from the human world, where we get sort of some of the great stuff that they've been using in, in human orthopedic work mm. um, comes to the vet field as well. Partly about high tech, but also it sounds silly, but partly about just using your head and thinking a way of doing this that will, you know, rods, bone pins and bone rods are not particularly new, but it's just the way you use them mm. to allow it to heal properly. So how old is your patient this afternoon? Five months. Right. So does this does this become a long procedure then? Actually, no. I mean, the, the great thing about being young is your bones tend to heal much quicker. They, oh. say, they say with puppies, your bones... <laughs> not totally healed, but your bones are a pretty good job of healing in four weeks, whereas in older dogs, it could be eight to 12 weeks. Uh, don't get me wrong there and think after four weeks and go out running like normal, but he can at least do, he'll be getting, he'll be getting better. Yep. Quite quickly. Ready to go, go out there and at him again. So what are you going to do to stabilize the leg? You talk about pins and stuff, but do you, do you still wrap up, wrap up the leg and stuff? Well, we, so interesting enough, you can use casts on legs, but you yeah. don't, we don't, uh, we don't use them as much as we used to. Um, you wouldn't, you, you may cast a lower leg fracture, like something you know, below your elbow or below your knee. Mm. You wouldn't cast something higher up just because it, it won't work very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but even so you do it, you do one of these casts on a dog and it's quite debilitating for them and hard for them to get around. Um, so in general, mobilize it then, yeah, specifically this one. Specifically, this guy, we're going to give the owners a cage to keep him in. Um, a cage sounds terrible. Let's call it a crate to keep him in. Right. Um, and tell him, tell him just to bring him out for, for you know, love and affection and play, but not running around the place. Yeah. The bone pins, if everything works as we plan, are actually pretty strong. Um, and, of course, we don't want him to go running on this straight away. Cause it would, it would, would he want to, uh, or does he know? No. Well, you'd think he'd know, because I sure wouldn't run on a broken <laughs> leg, but some dogs, you wonder. Yeah. Um, and actually, you bring a really good point up here that after we do a surgery like this, we give a dog huge amounts of painkillers so they're not suffering, yeah. um, which is, of course, vital. But if you can't feel it and you don't know it's broken, you might go around and walk on it without realizing. And so oh. although I never want a dog to be in pain, pain's kind of your body's way of telling you, look, just rest, don't, don't run around. So what do you do, um, lightly medium dose him or something? No, nah, we still, we're, we're too... We're too nice for that. We're too soft, too soft-hearted. We we still give them strong painkillers, but we just make people keep them in a very small enclosure so they yeah. can't run or walk. Well, tell me yeah. a little bit about the strength of both cat and dog bones. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'd say you look. The funny thing is, you think about bones, and it's not taking your body weight. It's taking your body weight times five or times ten from when you jump off the side of that fence and you land really hard. Yeah, um, bones are generally pretty strong. I do see cases of dogs, especially small dogs like Chihuahuas, and these are sort of really you know, brittle bone dogs jumping off beds or jumping off tables and actually breaking a leg. That that can happen. Um, for most of the bigger dogs, though, it's, it's, it's 
I hate to say it, but you normally break a leg when you're unfortunately hit by a car or, or that's something. Really what I'm, that's what I'm on about. But I mean, compared to compared to other creatures, is their bone density quite high or what? You know, I've got to say, I don't actually know comparatively whether it's better or worse than it would be for, say, a cow or a, a monkey or a human. Yeah. Um, I guess I'd say to you that dogs and cats are fairly agile creatures, which means they prioritise being lightweight over oh. very, very strong. Um, and, and birds even more so. I mean, birds have some hollow bones. Um, uh, hollow bones. You know, I guess where humans, animal, all mammals have hollow bones to some degree, but birds have really lightweight bones. And so I guess the lighter weight you make something, the more likely you make it to break. Well, let's wrap up where we started today. I mean, talking about young dogs, young cats, uh, what is their alarm system like versus the growth of their bones, if you like? You talk about your patient today. He's five months old now. Is that particularly fragile compared to what he might be later? And and how much is he going to realise that he needs to slightly be careful without giving him pain? So, I mean, look... Uh... Certainly when you're growing, your bones are more brittle, especially at the growth plates, and they're more likely to, to break. Yeah, I guess yeah. also when you get very old, your bones get weaker as well. Um, I do tend to see more broken bones in young animals, but I think that's partly because young animals are out there. Yeah, but do those bones path. break easier, I think? That's what I'm asking. Up to a point, yes, but I wouldn't say... I mean, when certainly when you're very young as a puppy, yes, because the bones haven't sort of calcified very well at all. Yeah. Um, I would say your bones get stronger up to being about uh nine to 12 months old and then they form that that's pretty much where they're going to be and then as you get older sort of over 10 years old they probably slowly start getting weaker again all right we're going to leave it there best of luck for this afternoon i hope your patient recovers fully and he's out to work on the other leg very soon eh? thanks, thanks Bill. i appreciate it have a great day you too dr david gething as always great to talk to you